How are we doing this morning? Yeah. As I was sitting across the, the walkway over there, seeing the snow come down, I was like, oh, good, it's, there's going to be snow on the ground. We didn't get the payoff. No snow on the ground. Maybe it'll come later. I don't know. Well, welcome to Mercy Hill Church. My name is Ernie. I'm one of the pastors here, and it is so exciting for me to be able to say that, by the way. If you have just been with us, if this is your first time here or haven't been in a while, like we have recently affirmed local elders, and it is incredible to meet with those men, and I'm so humbled with the men that we're meeting with. In fact, next week, you'll get to hear one of our local elders uh, teach, and that's going to be exciting. Jesse McCluskey. He's not here. He's dealing with a sick kid, so you pray for him. Actually, I think he's sick now, right? Yeah, that's what, that's what happened. Uh, let me get this going up real quick. But yeah, it's great to be here. Excited to have you here. I want to start by sharing a story. You know, um, when I was in high school, I wasn't the most like studious of students. In fact, I didn't even know I had to apply for college until my counselor told me senior year. I thought it just like worked out that you just like, yeah, you just go register or whatever like you've done because all throughout my entire life, well, you go to this junior high, then you go to this high school, like that's just how it went. So my counselor pulls me in and says, hey, look, do you plan on going to school? I was like, yeah, I'm going to go to LSU. Like, of course, like I'm excited about getting football tickets. And he's like, well, you got to apply and you got to take the ACT and you haven't done any of those things. So I went, oh, okay. Until that moment, he registered me for that, all that kind of stuff like that. And I was like, okay, cool. Everything checked the boxes, sent in my application, took the ACT, saw some general ideas about my grades, feel like they're in a decent spot. We're going to be fine, right? Well, spring break comes around. I'm coming back from spring break with my friends. Senior year, had a great time. And just a little detail, it's going to be really important. I'm wearing a blue shirt. It's a LaTeX shirt that has the sleeves cut off because I think it looks good. And, uh, <laughs> and on the back it says, is it in you? Like it's like this kind of thing to go, like, go to LaTeX. I have no plans of going there. And, um, and as we're riding back in the car, I get a call from mom. It's like, hey, we got a letter from LSU. It's like, oh, sweet. She's like, get in and get in. And I'm like, what? And I just begin to like, are you kidding me? And I end up finding out some details that like, yeah, you may have an opportunity to get in if you go to summer school there. And I'm like, I don't know what that means. I don't know what it looks like. I just know it's going to ruin my summer plans. And in the midst of this, like, kind of weeping and feeling really stupid and, like, not understanding things, like, my friend looks at me as I'm wearing this shirt, and he goes, hey, Ernie, is it in you? And I look at him, like, as best friends do, I say, well, it just might have to be, Kevin. I might have to go to a different school in this moment, and as he's just, we're just laughing at one another, which is a really silly response, but more than just like feeling dumb at that moment, it became like this fear about my future. Because I had this picture, you know, my parents went to LSU, I'll go to LSU. I had this idea about what was going to happen and how it was going to happen, and at this moment, it felt like everything was turned on its head. And I was like, Lord, where are you? And it's like, and if God was being honest, he should look at me like, I didn't make you get that C in geography. That was on you. We have that way of doing that, right? Like when we mess things up, we're like, God, what did you do to me? But we all do that pretty well. And in the midst of doing that, in the midst of wondering, like, God, where are you? What is it go? Where am I going? I begin this, like, future fear of, like, is my life, that I just ruined my life? Like, is everything going to go wrong and bad for me at this moment? And I'm just spinning out of control as, like, an 18-year-old man being, like, what does my future look like? And I'm crying out to God going, what do I do? Where am I going? Where are you taking me? Perhaps many of you have experienced something very similar. Maybe you didn't forget to take the ACT like I did or, you know, apply for college. 
But students, maybe there was a moment that you didn't get into the university you thought you would get into. Or maybe you didn't get the co-op that you thought you would get. Or maybe, you know, you young professionals out there, the person that you were dating for a long time, you thought you were going to marry them, and it didn't work out. Or the promotion didn't happen. Or you haven't had kids at this moment in your life, and you always envisioned that being true of you by the time you hit your 30s. Or the marriage began to fall apart. You're at a moment where like the future, your future seems uncertain. It seems turned over on its head. And you're like, what am I supposed to do? Lord, where are you? Where are you taking me? What, what is happening in this moment? And everything just seems to be flipped on its head. You're like, where am I going to go? What is going to happen? And what you'd like for is you'd like for God to just like speak through the clouds to you. Right? Be like, Ernie, it's going to be okay. You're going to pass your summer school. You're going to go to LSU. But he doesn't. You're going to have that baby in two years. Chill out. You shouldn't be married to her anyways. You shouldn't have even been dating her. You wish God would speak from the clouds and say that, but he doesn't. And you're worried, like, is he in control? Is he king? Is he worth following? Perhaps God did something even cooler than speaking to the clouds to you. In fact, this morning, I think what he's done is that as we look at a passage that was written almost 2,000 years ago where God is going to speak some truths that speak right into your situation. That even though he didn't speak through the clouds 2,000 years ago, he spoke to you. He planned it even before you existed that you would hear this. And I believe as we look and examine these words that Maggie just read, as we look at John 14, that God begin, begin to point to us a place that we can look, a person that we can look upon, that when everything seems to be falling apart and we don't know what our future looks like, we would have something that would hold us steady and carry us through. And it wouldn't be the thing that we were looking at before, but it would be the person of Christ. I believe, I believe that if we look at these verses and truly understand when Jesus says, hey, let not your heart be troubled, and he tells us why, that if we would actually take that to heart, no matter the circumstance, no matter the, the missed expectation or the brokenness or whatever, that we would be held steady in peace and in joy regardless of the difficulty of circumstance that's before you. So let's pray, and let's get into it. Uh, Lord Jesus, thank you so much for an opportunity to read your word, to make much of you. God, I pray in this moment that we would begin to open our hearts to you, that we'd open our ears and we'd open our minds and say, God, whatever you have for me for the next 30 minutes, for whatever you have for me as we look at this word, whatever it is, Lord, I want to hear it, and I want it to be transformational in my life. I want, to be, I want to be different because of maybe I have a different perspective of you, an understanding of you, or maybe it changes things that I do and how my posture is towards you. Our Lord, maybe it changes me from looking down at all the problems, find, trying to find solutions in those, and begin looking up towards you, the answer to all my problems. God, we love you. We praise you. We want to worship you here this morning. Amen. 
Okay, so if you've been with us, you know we're in John. We're starting John 14. If you've never been to Mercy Hill Church, this is how we read through the Bible, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, reading it in context and teaching it for the equipping of the saints for the works of ministry. And so that's what we're doing this morning. If you don't own a Bible and you're here, great. Grab that one that's underneath you or your neighbor's chair and just open it up to John 14. If you don't own it, you can keep it. That's yours. We'd love for you to have it. Maybe you have one that your grandma gave you to you, and it's in old, like, old, old King's English. Okay, this one is in the English you speak. It may be a little bit easier easier for you to follow, read, and understand, so we'd love for you to do that. But let me give you some context before we get into this. John 14, all right, Judas has been sent out, okay, and Jesus has begun to tell them that, hey, he's going to leave. He's going to go somewhere, and they're starting to freak out. They're starting to freak out. They're starting to struggle with future fear, like, well, what does this mean for me? Because just put yourself in the position of these disciples for a minute. They have left everything to follow Jesus, They have left their families, they have left their jobs, they have left their future prospects, they have left their homes, their hometowns. They have left everything to follow Jesus, and they believe up to this moment that Jesus is going to overthrow the Roman powers, and he's going to come to power as the new lowercase m Messiah, new lowercase leader of Israel that is going to bring back the independence and bring back the power of Israel to rule itself. We know this even to this moment because what we've seen in the other Gospels, that they begin to argue amongst themselves who will stand at the right and the left-hand side of Jesus when he comes to power. And they're not thinking about heaven. And in this last chapter, Jesus has begun to say he's going to leave, and they begin to fall apart. They begin to worry. They're like, what do you mean? Where are you going, God? Like, where, where, where are you going to go? Like, what, what does that mean that, like, you're going to leave? And you just told Peter that you're, he's going to deny you three times? Like, Peter's really brave. Like, where are you taking us, God, that Peter, the brave one, is going to deny you three times? And at this moment that they're troubled and they're worried, and they're probably asking, God, Jesus, what have you gotten us into? What did I sign up for? Jesus says this in verse 1. Read with me. Let your hearts, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have not told you that I, have go, that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself, that where I am, you may also, you may be also, and you will know the way to where I am going. The first response Jesus gives them, it says this, let your heart, let not your heart be troubled. In other words, Jesus looks at a group of people who are having future fear, who are worried about it, their world is spinning and falling apart, and he's saying, hey, don't worry. You ever anybody tell you that? You're like, uh, yeah, I'm going to worry. I just failed chemistry. Yeah, I'm going to worry. Like, uh, the check didn't pass. Our kids aren't getting into that school. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to worry. And notice the person that's telling them not to worry. The person that's telling them not to worry is the person that should be filled with worry. Because Jesus, in less than 24 hours, is going to be taken. He's going to be beaten beyond like our ability to recognize who he is and he's gonna be murdered on the cross and die in a horrific shameful like just painful way excruciatingly painful way this is the person that should be filled with worry but yet he is looking at his disciples and saying hey don't worry 
I want you to notice that that's the kind of God that we follow. That in the moment that every single one of us would be coming undone, he is concerned about the hearts of his disciples. Do you realize that about Jesus? That Jesus is not just enough, see, that Jesus is going to pay for their sins on the cross. It's not just enough that he's going to create a future for them and a future for us. It's not just enough that he's going to accomplish all these things and everything's going to be okay. It's, en- it's not enough for him because what he wants us in the, in the moments that we experience crisis and the moments that are after it and the moments that we overcome it, he wants our hearts not to be in trouble. What a good God is that? Do you understand that? Like when you're full of anxiety, you're like, God, you even care? He's like, yes. Yes. So when you hear the words like cancer, bankruptcy, you're fired. We can't hear a heartbeat. When you hear those words, you God, are you here? Do you care? He does. He does. Because he says, in the midst of the wreck of your life and the destruction that is happening around you, he's giving a command that your heart would not be troubled. But how? Look at his very next sentence. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Do you hear what Jesus is saying? He's saying in the same way as he's looking to these Jews who have followed him and they believe in Yahweh, they believe in God the Father. He's saying in the same way that you believe there's a God in heaven. Put that same kind of trust in me. See that word believe he uses right there? It's pisto. It's a belief that means not just like, it's, it can either mean believe or trust. And when Jesus says believe, he's not saying believe that there's a God up there, that there's somebody in the clouds. He's saying trust in me. Trust in me. Trust in my goodness. Trust in who I am. Trust in everything that I am. Trust in me. Trust in God. When you, when your world is spinning, what God tells you to do is to trust in him. It's a loaded sentence, isn't it? You ever trusted in someone? They said, dude, just trust me, you know? Like maybe you've been on a road trip with your parents, and you're like, my parents were like, dad, like up until recently, he didn't trust like Google Maps, you know? So he always had like folded out maps. We'd be going to the beach, and I'd be like, dad, it says there's like a two-hour wreck on my phone that way. Like we should go this way. He goes, no, no, no. This is the best way. I know the map says it. And I said, and he always calls the Google Maps the lady because it's a lady's voice. Like I'm not listening to the lady. We're going this way. He's like, trust me. Four hours later, we're turning back around and going the direction we're going. He's like, God, I trusted you. You know what's the difference between like your dad with the bad map and God? is that God's judgment is never off. That God's judgment, his perspective, there's nothing lacking in him. 
Like, you realize that, like, when, like when we talk about God, like, there's something you need to understand. We can trust in God because unlike your dad who doesn't know what the traffic looks like and doesn't trust the lady on the GPS, God knows all things. Nothing is hidden from him. In fact, Psalm 139, 12 tells us this. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. See, what the psalmist is saying is there's nothing hidden from God. There's nothing you will ever bump into your li- in your life that all of a sudden God will be like, well, I didn't see that coming. I didn't know that that was going to happen. I had a plan, but then I didn't know you were going to make that decision. And because you made that decision, now I'm caught off guard. Or that person was going to make that decision. I didn't know the dominoes were going to fall in that way. There's never a situation that you can bump into that God doesn't know fully and completely. Period. Now, just talking about his knowledge, not only that, not only does he not know all things, but he knows you better than you know you. Because if we look at Psalm 139, he also says this. The psalmist says this about God. You, meaning God, you know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path. Am I lying down? You are acquainted with all of my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in, behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Even later in the Psalms, you know what it says? is that God knitted you together in your mother's womb. God knows you better than anyone else could know you. And so when the God of the universe looks at you and says, hey, not only do I know all things, but I know I'm intimately involved in the details of your life. And he says, trust him. He's not speaking out of ignorance. He's not some distant king that just goes, I know my kingdom and I know my people. But he actually knows his kingdom and he actually knows his people better than they know themselves. There is not a better person to trust. But not only does Jesus point to him, it's a point for warriors to steady their hand. He also points to what he's going to do. He points towards the future. Read with me verses 2 and 4 again. He says, In my house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself. That where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. See, at the moment that the disciples are drowning in worry, not only does he tell him to trust in him, but he says, hey, trust in the future that I have. Let me give you something to look forward to. Let me give you something. Let me give you a picture of what's going to happen. Let me tell you where I'm going. He says, hey, I'm going to prepare a place for you. Where is that place? It's in heaven. See, he's leaving this moment. He's going to leave them for a time to accomplish salvation by dying on the cross for humanity's sins, to deal with our consequences so that one day we can live in the household of God. And by the way, Jesus isn't like describing like a dorm room moment, okay? 
Like it's not like, okay, well, how many rooms are there? Is there enough to accommodate us all? He's giving a picture that we're going to be with him for eternity. And he's telling them, by the way, there's enough space. See, we don't have to doubt like the Mormons. You know, the Mormons believe heaven is filled up. And so their best thing is they can live a certain life, and all of a sudden they can become like God, demigods to planets that they can populate themselves. It's science fiction. It's crazy. But my point is this. It's like God is not saying, hey, there's not enough room for you. And he's not saying there's not enough room for your neighbor. He's saying there's enough space. And I prepared it, and I've readied it for you. He's saying the biggest thing in our lives our future is already dealt with. And it's secure because he's going to bring it about. Do you see what it says? And if I go, I prepare a place for you. I will come again and I will take you to myself. Not only is the promise that he has prepared a place for us, but he himself will accomplish it. He himself will bring it about. It's not like the bad promises. Like, like, like it's not like the bad promises maybe you've heard before where all of a sudden one of your friends says, hey, my cousin has Taylor Swift concert tickets. Front row, he's going to give them to us. We just got to meet him there. And you're like, sweet. And you show up the day of, and then all of a sudden he doesn't pick up the phone because he was going to give them to a friend of a friend of a friend, and all of a sudden it never made it to you because it's been outsourced and given to all these people before it got to you, Jesus himself is the one that says, hey, I'm going to take care of it. I'm going to be the one that accomplishes it. I'm going to be the one that brings it to fruition. I'm going to be the one that makes it possible. It is in my hands, not your hands. See, it'd be one thing if God said, hey, there's a great future for you. You just got to get there. You can make like faith like the amazing race. Like you just got to get there. But he doesn't. He doesn't. And this should fill our hearts with affection for God. Let me, let me give you an example of this right now. Has anybody ever gifted you a vacation? Okay, one. I've never gotten it. All right, another one back there. But could you imagine? Okay, let me see another hand. All right, like, look, could you imagine if you, like, you went to work, like you woke up Monday morning, you got a phone call. And one of your best friends says, hey, look, dude, I just bought you and your, your wife, like, you know, or your husband, whatever. Like, I just, I just got y'all a condo in the Virgin Islands. And I'm going to pay for the whole thing. I've already talked to your boss. Like, you don't have to worry about going in for work. All the work's been dealt with. Like, it's paid vacation. In fact, you don't even have to worry about packing. Like, I've already packed all your clothes. I've already taken care of those things. In fact, you don't even have to worry about getting to the airport or flying there because I'm actually going to fly you on my private jet that I have. And I'm gonna, in fact, you don't, you don't have to worry about getting to the airport because I'm going to be at your house in 15 minutes, and I'm picking you up. And, like, I'm going to drive you down there. Drive, then we're going to fly there. I'm going to drive you to the place, drop you off right there. And don't even worry about the meals. The meals are taken care of. Oh, my gosh, the meals are taken care of. All the excursions are taken care of. Nothing, no expense whatsoever. Don't even bring your wallet. You're not even going to need it. Everything, in fact, every thought. Like, what would you do if you came back from that? You'd be like, that person is the best person that has ever existed in all of existence. That person, well, I'm going to name my first child after them. Even if it's a girl and his name's Frank, I don't care. You would lose your ever-loving mind. You'd be like, this is the most amazing thing that could have ever happened. And that is just one week of your life. 
And yet the God of the universe is saying this to us. Hey, guess what? I've already taken care of the fair. I've already figured out. I've already paid for you to be there in my blood. I've already dealt with the problems that you have of sin. I've already pulled like, the things that have kept us at distance. I'm bringing you into the family. You don't have to accomplish it. I've dealt with it not just for a week of your life, but for eternity. From now until then. Is God not glorious? Is he not worth our affections? Is he not worth our, should we not trust him with everything we had? Should, should goodness and affection for him not swell up in us and go, God is good. This is the greatest thing I could have ever happened to me. Man, our God is good. And here's the thing, he doesn't even keep it secret. You know the last thing he says to him? Look at it. You know the way. To where I'm going. How can Jesus say that when they're like, no, we don't know. It's because over and over and over and over again, he has told them throughout the story of John. In the same way that the spirit over and over and over again. And as you read the word over and over and over again, God reaffirms where he's taking us. Even when we are in self-denial, even when we have a hard time seeing it. Just like Thomas does. Look at Thomas's response because Jesus says, hey, you know the way. And Thomas is like, Lord, we do not know where we are going. Like Maggie read real nice, but I see like, like when I read this, I think Thomas is pretty frantic. He's like, we don't know where we're going. How can we know the way? Like he's panicking. Like Thomas is like, think about this. His life has been about following Jesus for the last three years. He's left his profession. He's three years behind. He's not married. All the things that he would be pursuing in life have been set aside in order to follow Jesus. It's as if like his compass of his life was taken like a snow, like the snow globes. You just shake it, you know, and his compass is doing this. And he's like, where are you taking me? Where are we going? He doesn't see the picture. And in this moment, I really appreciate Thomas because there have been so many moments in my life where I feel like where my world is just spinning and I see the truths of God written on pages. I even have friends tell me it and I'm like, I still don't get it. I still don't get it. I still don't understand it. I'm not hearing it right now. I mean, I can remember when we first moved to Texas, like, a year into starting a college ministry at a church, man, I was like every week somebody was leaving the ministry or a kid was sick. Like it just like just the kickoff of year two. Like my kids were all sick, all right, and he kept throwing up for days. The dog died. The AC was out. We were in Texas. It was August, okay? And like, and, and things are just falling around, filled with anxiety. And I'm like, why am I here, God? Why did you move me to this desert to do this? Why? See, that's where Thomas is. He's like, Lord, I know I've read it. I know I've heard you said things. But we don't know the way. We're not getting it. See, even in those moments where God's like, hey, listen, I've told you before. Trust in me. And you look at God and go, I'm not trusting you. I don't understand it. I need you to give me more information. Jesus graciously responds like this. Read verse 6 with me. Jesus looks at him and says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. 
That doesn't feel like an answer, does it? But it is. See, what has Thomas been asking? Like, what is the way? Where are we meant to go? And Jesus' response is to reaffirm a truth. That in the midst of his doubt and our doubt, Jesus will continually reaffirm a truth. That will be an answer to our future fear, the ambiguity of what's happening in our life or the difficulties that we're going through. Jesus himself will bring comfort to our hearts. You know what it looks like? And how it looks? Is that when you're in the midst of going, God, where are you? Because I don't have a job anymore. God, where are you? Because that boyfriend, I thought who I was going to marry is not working out. God, where are you? I thought we'd, when you start saying all those things, sometimes you begin to say, Lord, let's be honest. You do this. I do this. Lord, if you would have loved me, you would have given those things. If you were good, you would have given them. If you are really here and for me, I would have them at this moment. And what sometimes happens in our hearts, I want to be very tender as I say this, is that sometimes we take the blessing of God and we make it an idol to be worshipped. That we believe that if we would have gotten that job, that spouse, whatever that thing is, that all of a sudden, all of the fear, the doubts, and the worries, and the brokenness would have been dealt with because we would have gotten that thing that we had focused our hearts on and said, if I would have had this then I would be secure. And God loves you so much. I'm not saying he caused the fallout of those things in your life. But God loves you so much to point out in your heart that you are falling for an idol. You have taken a blessing of God or the goodness of God and turned it into God. And, he, and, and in that moment... If you're wishing, if I just had that, if that was just the thing I had, then in that moment, you are making something, God, that could never be God in your life. And he will so lovingly point to you and say, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Now, let me very clearly say this, too. There is nothing wrong. In fact, there is something very right about grieving the loss of those things. And God is not afraid of your questions, your anger, or your frustration in those moments. Period. I'm not looking at you saying, if you feel bad because you've experienced loss, then you have a lack of faith in Jesus. What I'm telling you is in the midst of your grief, in the midst of that difficulty, Jesus is giving you something to hold on to. So let me be very clear, because in the midst of grief, as you may be hearing this at this moment, may be thinking that I need to minimize the grief or the difficulty that I'm walking through. I'm not telling you that, and God is not telling you that. That is not what the Word of God is telling you. But He is telling you, He is telling you that there is something firm that you can hold on to until the shaking in your knees stops. And He will continue to carry you all the way through. Please hear that. Please know that. 
See, what God is telling us this, when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, he's telling those disciples, like, listen, even if everything falls apart and all you have is me, it's enough. And those statements are completely significant. See, when Thomas says, I don't know the way, Jesus says, not only will I show you the way, but I am the way. That he himself is to way to God, the way to God. The place that we long for. The place that we've been made to be. When he says he's the truth, what Jesus is saying is that he is the embodiment of God's supreme revelation. That whenever we see Jesus, we see the full revelation of God. We see truth in the flesh. We see the picture of all reality. That when we look at Jesus, we see the way to God, we see the truth, and we see the life. Because he contains and imparts divine life to all that follow him. That through him... The spiritually dead will become alive. See, we saw a few weeks ago when we looked at Lazarus and how he raised him up and brought dead things alive. That soon, just, just soon, we're going to see Jesus be put in the ground and raise himself up. Proving who he is. Showing us where salvation is. See, these three statements Jesus is saying are the answer to your anxiety about the future. Because it's trusting in a God that knows you fully, that knows all things, that is all powerful, has prepared a place for you. And he himself will get you there. See, Jesus says one more thing that I think we need to pay attention to. He says, no one comes to the Father except through me. It can only be by Jesus that our spiritual problems are dealt with. Our sins have spiritually separated us from God. And through his work on the cross, he paid for those sins. And he can rightly say that only through him can salvation. We can look at that statement and be like, oh, my goodness, how exclusive of God to say that. How could he ever say something like that? Let me put it this way. If you were on a sinking ship and you were running in the wrong direction to get off that boat and somebody looked at you and said, no, 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 that's flooded. The exit is this way. What would you do? you would turn and begin to follow that person and run as fast as you could and you'd be forever thankful for that person for sharing the way out. You wouldn't be like, that exit is too exclusive for us. There can't just be one way off this ship. And the only reason that we make such objections to like verses like John 14, 6 like this is because you ignore the reality that you're on a sinking ship. You ignore the reality that your sin is actually a problem. So you may not be as bad as you could have been. You may not be the worst person in this room. You may even be one of the better people in this room. 
But what Scripture tells us is that God has a standard of perfection that none of us meet. That our sin has separated us from him. And broken relationship. That we've broken the law of God. Yet even in the midst of us, as rebels of God, God gives us an invitation to be with him. See, some of us in this room, the reason why we don't see passages like this as incredible is because you don't realize that how the depth of what you need to be saved from, the distance that you've created between you and God. And if you would realize that, what would grow in your mind is not just the depth, but the depth of his grace and mercy and goodness. That even in the midst of that, while you were running away, he was running after you. And he was creating a way for you even before he created you to be in relationship with him. And he's got a room in his house for you. That you would live forever with him. But you can't go it your own way. You've been failing at that the whole time, haven't you? And now he's created a way for us to follow him. Now, there's another group in this room that you have trusted Christ as your Savior. But you haven't trusted him for the, fam for the life that Christ has for you. Like, you know Jesus, you follow Jesus, you're walking with him. But your life, it would not be called of experience of, like, joy, peace, contentment, Abundant life, these things that God has called us to. And you would say, well, yeah, Ernie, it hasn't because of this problem and that problem and this problem and that problem and that problem and this thing. And you would point to all these things. Those things were never meant to give you peace. At best, they were a blessing. Maybe just a convenient. And you have sought peace and contentment in all of the wrong places. And Jesus is looking at you at this moment and he's saying, hey, listen. Don't look around. Stop looking down. Look at me. And if you knew who I was, that I was the way, the truth, and the life, and you grasped that, you would stop trying to find peace and contentment and things that were meant to be blessings or joys. And you would find it in me. And even in the worst moments of your life, you would have peace, contentment. It would be possible. Grief would be there too. Anger would be there too. Frustration would be there too, but peace would reign. It would all be there. See, what Jesus is saying to us who are Christ followers, who sometimes take our eyes off of God, is saying, look at me. This is the last little illustration I'm going to make. When I went to Texas, I learned about something called slacklining. You guys know what that is? You tie a strap to one tree to the next, and you just ratchet it down, and the tighter it is, the more secure it is, the looser it is, then the less secure it is, and that means you have great balance, blah, blah. One of the first things they're going to tell you if you, ever, if you ever do it with someone that knows what they're doing is they're going to say, hey, don't look at your feet. Look straight ahead. Look where you're going. Because if you look at your feet, you're going to become unsteady, and you're going to fall. But if you look ahead, you'll be able to keep some semblance of balance. You'll be able to keep moving forward. I can't help but what Jesus is telling the disciples is he's saying, stop looking down at all the circumstances and all the things that you don't understand and you don't know and just look at me 
and trust me. Because all of this is going to keep moving like your feet on a slack line. Whereas if you just look forward and look at me at where you're going and the plans and the future that I have for you, I'm going to get you there. And it's going to bring about a measure of peace in your life. Where are you looking down and where do you need to look up? Let me pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for a word like this. For a story of people in crisis who are wondering what's the next step, who want to follow you, Jesus, who want to be your servants, who want to be your disciples. That you don't look at us and just be like, dude, are you still doing this? Like, are you still worried about this? But that you continually, over and over and over again, reaffirm the truth that you are with us, that you are for us. And that you continually point to the greatest need and the greatest solver of our problems, which is Christ. Lord, I do pray for those who are experiencing loss right now and difficulty. I pray in the midst of their grief and their brokenness and their questions. I pray they wouldn't feel shame about those emotions. But I ask that they would lift their eyes to the goodness of their king. And through tears and shaking knees, they would say, I trust you, Lord. And in all comfort, you'd gather around them and you'd walk with them. And they'd feel your presence, maybe not through words out of the sky, but through your words written 2,000 years ago to them. Through the words of fellow believers that you have sent to encourage them, through the Holy Spirit's presence in their life. In a place where it looks like their life has just been shaken and their future has just been dashed. I pray they would remember the future you have given. And they would hold fast to that. Oh God, we love you and we're so thankful. We praise you, Lord. Amen.